All right, welcome to uh, Junction Church. Um, now, I think all of our, most of our Sunday schools or teachers are still at camp, or at least the organizers. I don't know, was there Sunday school today for two and under? Yeah, I think most of the kids are still, still at camps, but uh, I wish my wife would come home. <coughs> it's been a week and a half anyways, but... Uh, Sausages, actually. We need a lot of sausages and a lot of bacon and stuff that, that we can eat, the <laughs> boys and I. Had to wake up at 6.30 to milk the goats again, and every morning this week, it'd be nice to actually sleep until 7.30 or something. That'd be good. <laughs> but we can keep the camps in, in prayer. Family camp is going on right now, and uh, some of our families are there, and uh, I think they're finished up on uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday afternoon. All right, we are uh, continuing our uh, series here this morning. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. We haven't made it very far. It's been a lot of sermons. We made it to verse 8 because there is so much in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians. And we've uh, basically called this whole book or used the title that, that we're richer than, than we think because that's what this book is all about. That if you're kind of discouraged or down or struggling with life, all you need to do is read through the book of Ephesians because it reminds us that we are far richer than we could ever hope, dream, and imagine. That we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so before we read our uh, text for this morning, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us uh, the book of Ephesians. God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks through this book to encourage us in, in who we are in your son, Jesus. Uh, God, I pray you continue to give us revelation of, uh, God, what you have done for us and, and how much we should appreciate, God, what you've done in and through us and are doing in and through us even this, this day. Uh, God, we know that you love us. We, we are called your kids, and as a dad, you, you love to speak to us. And so, God, I pray you would help our hearts and our minds and our souls to be open uh, to whatever your Holy Spirit would want to say to each one of us here this morning. Uh, God, may you watch over all my words, that if there are things that, are, that you want to emphasize, God, I pray you would uh, drill those into our hearts. If there are things, God, that are uh, not beautiful in your eyes, I pray you'd help us to quickly forget those things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's uh, read through what we've gone through so far. Uh, this is written by Paul. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And, and we talked about how we are holy people, that we are saints. Uh, it's a word that God often uses in the scripture to describe who we are, that we are saints. Uh, that we're not primarily as believers to be identified as sinners anymore, but as saints. Uh, we are saints who, yes, we sometimes sin, but we are God's holy people uh, in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where grace and peace comes from. You need grace, you need peace, you, do, you just look to God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's our phrase, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, that's the spiritual world, the unseen spiritual world, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, not just some, but every spiritual blessing in Christ. That right now as you sit here today, if you're in Christ, you actually have every 
spiritual blessing available to you. And sometimes we just need to pick that up and walk with that and realize just how blessed we are. Not like, you know, one day when I get to heaven, I'll finally find blessing. Or one day then I'll have every spiritual blessing. We actually have that now because we are in Christ. For he chose us, meaning that God actually wanted us. That God wants you. He wants to love you and care for you and be close to you. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And that is what we are in Christ. As we are saints, God's holy people, we are actually holy and blameless in Jesus. Not because I have it all together or I'm so good, because Jesus is just that good. And he has gifted us with this righteousness, this, this, this way that before God we are holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That it was God's pleasure and will to adopt you. Uh, That there's no excuse for us to continue living like orphans as if we're unwanted or we don't have a home or we don't have a place that God has called us to be his kids. He has invited us to be with him in the heavenly realms, seated with Christ. And we talked about how we need to live and walk as sons and daughters of the King. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And in him we have redemption. That's what we talked about last week. This is kind of covering the last six or seven sermons here. In him we have redemption through his blood. And the idea of redemption, as we talked about last week, is freedom. Uh, That we are called to live in freedom... Jesus has brought us from slavery to sin, Satan, self, and death, and he has brought us into complete freedom. And we talked about how we need to live in that freedom, that he has called us to be free, and as followers of Jesus, we should be because we are called to be, and we are the most free people on this planet. And if you don't find yourself free today, then there is freedom in Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't find yourself free today, then you need to run closer to Jesus because we are completely redeemed. And that's what it says. We have, not one day, but we have right now freedom in Christ. And today we're going to continue on in verse 7 and 8. And that in him we have not only redemption, but the forgiveness of sins. This is not something that we hope for. This is something we have. Right now, if you are in Christ, meaning you trust him as your Lord and leader, you have absolute, complete forgiveness of every sin right now. In accordance with God's, with the riches of God's grace, and the idea of grace is just unmerited favor, and that's, we don't deserve to have our sins forgiven, but he's forgiven us. And that he has actually lavished this on us. That the forgiveness of God is so radical and so crazy that it actually causes some of us to not believe it. Or to think that it's too much. Or, you know, God shouldn't forgive that person because look what that person did. But God has a radical forgiveness because it comes from his grace, unmerited favor, and he just dumps it on us. It lavishes on on us. Not just trickles it, not just gives us a little drop or two, but he just lavishes forgiveness. And we, as those in Christ, need to feel at all times completely and utterly forgiven. And if you don't feel forgiven today, 
then either you need to meet Jesus and be forgiven, or you need to believe God's word and trust that you are forgiven. And so that's kind of the introduction. And to make a point of this, I'm going to talk about a guy I know. He's lived a crazy life. Uh, um, he uh, actually murdered somebody, this fellow. Cold blood, uh, murdered somebody. Uh, he also was married uh, numerous times. Uh, he uh, committed adultery. I mean, he just lived this messed up uh, life. And not only he was he messy, but his family was messy. Uh, one of his kids uh, raped uh, one of a, another uh, of his daughters, and then there was this family feud, and another brother actually ended up killing the son of this son who raped one of his daughters, and then another one of his sons just created all kinds of havoc for the family, and he ended up being murdered. And not only that, but this guy at one time made a mistake at work in which uh, thousands of people were killed because of a mistake. And do you know how, when God looks at this person, how God sees this person? Uh, God would look at that person and say, this is a man after my own heart. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about good old King David. Uh, David is a good illustration of the amount of forgiveness that God gives that causes us to sit back and say, whoa, whoa, that's a bit too much, God. Uh, you shouldn't forgive that much because that's, that's craziness. That's too radical. But again, he just lavishes. He loves to forgive. That Anyone comes to him with an open heart saying, I want to trust you. Would you forgive me? He loves to forgive. King David. Uh, quick story of his, just to picture this. Uh, his adultery story. He was up on his rooftop one day looking out. He sees this gal uh, taking a bath, and, and he's the king, so he can do whatever he wants. So he invites this gal, because she has to come because he's the king, into his palace, uh, and he gets her pregnant. He wants to cover this up, and he devises his plan, which doesn't really work out, but he ends up killing this gal's husband, and not just like accidentally, but here's the story. He said, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab as the commander of the army. He said it with Uriah. That's the guy he wanted to kill. I mean, he carried his own death letter. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. This is King David basically saying, I want that guy dead, and this is how you do it. I mean, that's just cold blood murder. Uh, King David did that. Uh, he married numerous wives, had concubines, and, and God said that kings weren't supposed to do that, but of course he disobeyed and did. Uh, his son Amnon raped uh, one of his daughters, and he knew about it. He didn't do anything about it. He just kind of ignores it. Uh, but one of his other brothers, Absalom, was so mad, he, Absalom actually ended up killing Amnon, so Amnon was dead. But then Absalom later would kind of go a little crazy, try to take over the throne, and he himself, when he was running away from a battle, got his hair caught in a tree, and then someone actually came and killed him. And so, I mean, his family's just messy if you read his story. Uh, but not only that, he at one time made a mistake and followed the voice of Satan at work one day, and... Uh, 70,000 people were killed because of a mistake he made at work. This is King David. But what's interesting is when you look at what God says about King David, you just enter this amazing grace, this forgiveness that God has that we sit back and say, man, I don't think you should be talking about that like a guy like this. That's too radical there, God. I mean, look what the Bible says about David. Uh, we know him as a man after his own heart because that's what God calls him. Uh, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. 
Acts 13, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And you might say, well, those are all things before he was king. It's true. But do you know after David died, after he made all those mistakes, that God actually compares every king to David? Somehow David becomes the standard of what it is to seek God. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Didn't he do all these horrible, nasty things? Uh, God just has this amazing grace and forgiveness. I mean, look at what the Bible says in comparing others to David, to Solomon. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Well, what do you mean? David didn't really do it very well all the time. He messed up. What do you mean you're comparing it to him? Or 1 Kings 11, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Or Abijah, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Or to Asa, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. I mean, God, how could you talk about David that way? When he did so many horrible things. But not only that, I mean, you go to the New Testament. He is mentioned 54 times in the New Testament, pretty much all in positive, uplifting ways. He's mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Even Jesus, our hero, our Messiah, you know what one of the names he took up of himself? Son of David. Man, how could that be that someone who has messed up so much seems so pure and holy and wonderful? It's the forgiveness of God. I mean, this verse is absolutely true, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It is radical. I mean, if we had someone like King David who came to church, we, I mean, I would have, there was a man after God's own heart, man, he just followed God, he's amazing, it's like, it's like, whoa, I mean, I don't have as much forgiveness as God. And God, he just lavishes grace. He lavishes forgiveness to anybody who would come to him. And what made David kind of stand apart from the rest was he understood where forgiveness was found. That you see this heart that after he messed up, that he would run to God. For instance, 2 Samuel 24. David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. This is when the 70,000 men died. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Uh, he wrote uh, many of the Psalms written by David. And a lot of those Psalms are Psalms of confession and repentance and God, I need forgiveness. Here's just a snippet of one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, uh, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I mean, David understood that when you mess up, there is forgiveness in God. And there's a lot of people who mess up and just don't understand that. There's Christians who don't understand that. 
They keep beating themselves up with guilt. They try to punish. They try to, you know, somehow pay off their sins to their own strength or whatever it might be. I mean, there are people who are workaholics because, you know, they're trying to justify the mistakes they've made. There are people who do all kinds of crazy things to uh, keep their mind off their mistakes. And you've got to realize that there is absolute forgiveness in Jesus. And I don't know if there's anybody who has done stuff as worse as David in here, but even if there is, there is no sin too dark or too deep that Jesus cannot cover. And, and again, we have a hard time figuring this because sometimes even I, when I sin, I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. And you struggle sometimes that God could actually forgive you. And to help us with this, the Bible's full of all these different images of forgiveness to help us get this drilled in our minds. And here's just some of them. He describes our forgiveness as being as far from the east as from the west. Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So when you open your heart like David did and you honestly confess your sins to the God you trust, as far as the east is from your west, God takes your sins away. And, and don't just picture like the Kootenays or Canada. I mean, we can picture that. I mean, picture like the universe because God owns the universe. As far as one end of the universe to the other, that's how, how far your sins away mean that they're, they're gone. They're washed away. They're, they're forgiven. Uh, described as being behind his back. You've put all my sins behind your back. I mean, I could hold something behind. My, you don't know what it is. You can't see it. And God does that with your sins. He loads them up, every wrong thought, every wrong deed, every time you should have acted but didn't, every time you did act and you did it wrong, he takes it all and he, he just hides it. It's one of the images that, that, again, it's gone. He's washed it away. There's images of being trampled and hurled into the sea. You will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You can imagine taking your sins and someone just squashing them all. So they're tiny. They, they hurl them out into the, you know, the Mariana Trench or something, never to be seen again. That's what God has done with your sins. Again, they're forgiven. They're washed. They're gone. They're, they're removed from you. Or the idea of being blotted from the record. I, even I, and he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And this is God doing it. This is not just some authority. This is the supreme authority in all the universe who blots out every one of your sins. And you can just picture a list of every mistake you've made. Every time you've hurt somebody. Every time you've messed up in your family. Every time you thought things you shouldn't. Every time you should have done something and you did this huge, you know, dictionary full. And then God just like, boosh, blots it out. That's what he's done with our sin. He has blotted it out. Or the idea that he has forgotten our sin in Hebrews 10. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. I mean, he just, you know does like this amnesia trick, you know, they're, they're forgotten or carried away. Jesus on the cross, he, he bore the sins of many. And you think about just how much your sin weighs you down. I mean, you're just carrying this big backpack and, and God just says, I'll take that. And he tromps off never to be seen again. And he takes it as far as the east is from the west and tramples it and throws it in the ocean. And all of a sudden you're, just, you're, you're free. Some of the images of forgiveness, uh, the idea of having your stains removed, Come now, let us settle the matter. Again, this is radical. God, and you're saying, he just calls you. He says, come, come to me. I will forgive you. Come, let us, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And if you feel dirty or rotten or you know, disgusted because of your sin, there's cleansing. As white as snow, washing it away, found in Jesus. And it is so clean. Uh, one more verse here, I guess, before we get to that. Colossians 2. Uh, charges canceled. When you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And it says he forgave us all our sins, not just some, all our sins. And you need to understand, even though this is like makes people uncomfortable because we're like, oh, well, we'll just can do whatever we want. It's like, do you know that all your sins, even for tomorrow and next year and the year after, are already forgiven? I mean, Jesus does not have to go to the cross again for your mistakes tomorrow. He died on the cross, the Bible says, once for all. That even tomorrow we're covered in Jesus, washed away, all canceled. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That all of our sins were taken care of on the cross in Jesus. That is how radical the grace and forgiveness of God is. I mean, it's so radical that sometimes we just struggle with it. Like, that's too radical. I mean, you can't, can't be teaching that kind of stuff. People are going to go crazy. It's just, it's just so radical, but he just, just lavishes this on us. So much so we're free from guilt. Hebrews 10. Let us draw near to God. And you know why we can do that? Because we're forgiven. The Bible actually says we can go confidently without fear into the presence of God, not because I have it all together, not because I've lived this perfect life, because Jesus has cleansed me that I can just freely go up to God confidently, knowing there's nothing that hinders me because Jesus has cleansed all my sin, and I can just hold on to my dad and love my dad and serve my dad and love God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Again, the picture of just being cleansed. All that guilt that we struggle with, just, just it's gone in Jesus. I mean, are you struggling with guilt today? I mean, are there mistakes from your past that you just constantly, when you think of this, all this guilt and condemnation comes up in your heart? Jesus has forgiven that. Uh, you don't need to feel guilty anymore. You don't need to keep punishing yourself because Jesus has already been punished for your sins and there's no more punishment left. He has done it all. It is free. It is gone. It is washed away in Jesus. And I hope as we do this picture every week that when you stand before God that you just sense this cleansing feeling, this, this freedom from guilt as you stand before God because Jesus is that good. And that is who he has called us to be in God. Romans 8 is a big text here. Therefore, this is because of what Jesus has done, not because I have it all together, but because of what Jesus has done, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's our phrase, again, in Christ Jesus. Ephesians uses that phrase a lot. This is all about our identity. The most common way we are described as Christians in the Bible is not Christian. That term is not used only a couple times in the Bible. The most common phrase is in Christ. You are in Christ. If you trust him as your Lord and leader of your life, you're in him, and there's no condemnation. There's absolutely no condemnation from God. 
And God is here, and if he looks at you in Christ, there is no condemnation. You can just boldly, freely come into his presence just to draw near. There's nothing hindering because Jesus has, I mean, do you believe that? Satan will do everything he can to stop you from believing that. This is truth. This is God's truth, and his truth reigns above every other idea in this universe, including what your own thinking and feelings are. You really are forgiven. There is really no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, this brings up some questions that we're going to talk about here. The first idea is fear. Uh, Some Christians fear punishment. That when I mess up, when I uh, do something bad, I'm afraid that God is going to punish me for my sin. God will never punish you for your sin. God has already, uh, Jesus has already been punished on the cross for all of your sin. He has paid your price. He has paid the penalty. And therefore, there should be no fear when you come to God. I mean, look what 1 John 4, 18 says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Some of you have not been perfected in God's love. Because you are still afraid of him punishing you. You're still afraid of being condemned by him. And you have not experienced the full love that the Father has for you. If you are afraid of God punishing you for your sin, you need to grow up in God's love and just experience the love. He will not punish you. Now, the Bible says he will discipline us. Okay, we're not serving a God who, you know, like, what a horrible parent I would be, you know, if my kid kept sticking his finger in a light socket and I said, oh, you're forgiven, it's no big deal, you know, just let you electrocute yourself. I mean, that'd be a dumb, unloving parent. God forgives all of our sin. He will never punish us for our sin, but the Bible says he will discipline us because our God, he's a loving father. And there is a huge difference between punishment and discipline, and this is good for parenting too, Uh, punishment is all about anger. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to hurt you for what you did. I'm going to give you revenge. I'm going to make myself feeling better for, you know, getting these feelings, just pouring them out on you. You know, it's it's that. That's punishment. God will never do that. Discipline is all out of love. It's out of relationship. It's for not the pain of past sins. It's for future correction. And it talks about this in Hebrews 12. As you endure this divine discipline, they were undergoing persecution, and and he said you're to see that as discipline. Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Remember you are God's kids. Fully loved, fully accepted, every act of discipline is for our good, even though we don't always understand it. Uh, Who ever heard of a child who who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you As he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. If you never experienced the discipline of God, he's saying, maybe you're not God's kids. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, uh, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years during the best they knew how, and sometimes they overdid it and messed up or whatever it might be or didn't do it. But God's discipline is always, not sometimes, always, always good for us because again god is always for you remember we talked about that all his power and energy is for uh, us ephesians chapter one says in our benefit because love is always giving but god disciplines discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening of course not it's painful but afterward 
there will be a peaceful harvest of righteous living for those who are trained in this way. So God's discipline is always for our good because he loves us and he cares for us too much to keep us sticking our finger in the light so we won't be punished. It is forgiven, but he loves us so much that he's just saying, hey, I want you to, to walk in a way that's loving to people and loving to God and, and loving to yourself. You're my kids. And, and so there are times when he will. He will step in and discipline us and, and it's for it's for our good. And there are times when he will uh, allow us to face the consequences of our sin. I mean, the Bible says you reap what you sow. Uh, sometimes if you sow in sin, it's forgiven, but God doesn't always protect you from the consequences. Uh, I mean, uh, for David, even though David was forgiven, he repents here. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is with his adultery. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. It's forgiven. It's gone, wiped away, washed far as the east from the west. Your sin is forgiven. You're not going to die, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. He faces the consequences of his sin. Uh, and so this is not a license to sin uh, because God disciplines his kids. It's not a license to sin because we still reap what we sow. It's not a license to sin because why in the world would we run after Satan when God has done so much? I mean, the stupidest idea people would say, well, if you preach that kind of thing, people are just going to do whatever you want. Really? Maybe you've got a twisted mind. I mean, I have told the axe murderer story, but I'll tell it again because it's my only story about this. I mean, let's say, uh, you know, I came home and Marie was being attacked by an axe murderer and I jumped in and I started beating up the axe murderer to rescue her from certain death and, and we're fi I'm fighting the axe murderer and then we both like knock each other out at the same time. You know, I just saved Marie from death and then, and then both the axe murderer and I come, come through at the right time. We both win and Marie just grabs the axe murderer and kisses him and runs off forever with the axe murderer. I mean, no one would ever do that. So if Jesus has saved you from sin, Satan, and death, why would you ever run after sin? It's stupid. Though we're stupid sometimes, I guess. But I mean, it's, a, it's a mute point. I mean, it's a dumb argument. All right. I mean, it's God's grace that leads us to repentance. I mean, when you realize how inviting and loving and good God is, you just, you just want to serve him because you know that every one of his commands are for your good. And you're just like, you're just only hurting yourself when you run away from God. Now, last thing, condemnation versus conviction. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is Satan and his demons. Jesus, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants to make your life full, free, beautiful. This is why, uh, the, again, just talking about our identity in Christ. He wants to have our life full. Satan wants to do everything he can to rob us from life. As we talked about last week, to rob us from freedom, to make us slaves again to rules and laws and do's and don'ts and, and our own, you know, uh, stuff in our own heads. But when it comes to our sin, Satan will always try to keep us from feeling forgiven. What he will do is try to steal, kill, and destroy the sense of forgiveness, and he will want to instill our minds with condemnation and guilt. Jesus has come to have life. He wants to fill us with forgiveness and the freedom from guilt. And there's a big difference. And here's just a couple things. When we sin, or just in, in general, Satan will often give us a message of, of condemnation. And we'll just have this, this vague sense of condemnation that you'll just feel like, why do I feel so condemned? I mean, why am I struggling with all this guilt? And sometimes you don't even know what it is. 
You're trying to think, like, what, did I do something? Did I hurt somebody? It's just this vague feeling. Often that's a sign that this is the enemy pressing in on you. He wants to make you feel condemned. He wants you to walk, because as soon as you feel condemned, it just makes you useless. Because all of a sudden you're so focused on yourself, you can't really love other people. You're not full to give to other people. You're just kind of focused on yourself. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is always very specific. You know when the Holy Spirit is convicting you. You'll know exactly what it is. You won't be guessing. And if you're just walking to this general condemnation feeling, you just need to rebuke Satan and live in the truth of God's word that you're forgiven. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of a certain sin, you got to make it right. You might have to make it right with that person that is convicted. You've got to make it right in whatever way that God is leading to confess your sin. And you always need to make it right with those you hurt. It's not just enough to confess to God. We need to work it out with other people if we can. The Bible says to live at peace with everyone if possible. Uh, Satan's message of condemnation will often bring to memory all our past sins. You're such a rotten sinner. Look at how many times you've messed up in this area. There's three, ten years of mistakes. You're such a horrible person. You're never going to have it all. It just brings up all your sin. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of God's grace. God has given you grace in the past. He's going to continue to give you grace in the future. And he's going to uplift you and say, let's get going on the high road again. Let's move forward. If Satan can get you feeling condemned and bring you down with all, when you just feel like, I'm such a sinner, I'm still rotten, and it's like, well, I guess this is what I do, and it just causes you to sin more because you're feeling horrible and you're feeling condemned, and, you know, I guess I'm just a sinner, and you're just totally, Satan pulls you out of your identity of Christ and pushes you back into your old identity, and he just ruins you. Satan's message of condemnation will leave you feeling rejected. God doesn't want you anymore. You've messed up for the last time. You've committed the unpardonable sin now. Uh, You can't come close to God. You need to work really hard and worship a whole lot, read your Bible a lot before you can come into God's presence again because this is Satan always trying to kill, steal, and destroy. He's always trying to pull you from God. Conviction from the Holy Spirit will bring about closeness. He's calling you, come, let's make this right. Come, let's deal with this, and I want to make you clean. And you'll sense God just tugging you towards him. And we fight it sometimes. We're just like, oh, I just want to hold on to this for a little bit. And he's like, no, just come. And you'll feel the sense of closeness. And you just, you just go with it because you know that God is good. Uh, messages of condemnation will help, uh, from Satan usually focus us on feelings of unforgiveness. Because sometimes we're like, oh, God can forgive this. I've done this too many times or, you know, whatever, you know, it's just like you feel condemnation and unforgiveness and Satan will say, those are the right feelings. That's exactly the way God feels about you. And this is true in a lot of areas. That Satan often likes to get us to focus on our feelings because often, or at least sometimes, our feelings are not in line with God's truth. The conviction from the Holy Spirit will focus on the truth of our forgiveness. You're forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. You're forgiven. What are you going to listen to? Truth of God's word always needs to trump your feelings. I, don't, I feel condemned. Well, you're not condemned in the truth of God. This is a lie from the enemy or something you're believing. I don't feel that God's going to, you know, I can't be close to God right now because I really mess up. Those are lies from Satan trying to keep you away, trying to pull you away, trying to make you feel condemned. That's a lie. And you need to believe the truth. Do you believe the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Do you believe that you're forgiven, that your guilt is washed? This is who we are as our identity in Christ. And here's just another list here. It's in your uh, sermon notes in the bulletin. But conviction is from God. Condemnation is from Satan. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to despair. 
Uh, conviction ends in joy when you follow the call of the Holy Spirit to make it right. Condemnation ends in sorrow. Conviction makes us to want to change. Condemnation makes us think we can't change, and Satan loves this one. Now you can't change. You've done this again. You're such a screw-up. God doesn't want you anymore. God's not going to, and it's just this condemnation. You've got to learn to separate the voice of the enemy from the voice of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word. Don't always listen to your feelings. Listen to the truth of God's word. Uh, conviction leads to new identity in Christ. Condemnation leads to old identity in sin. Conviction leads to, uh, brings about a specific awareness of sin. We talked about this. It'll be very specific. You'll know what he's talking about. Condemnation brings this vague uncertainty about sin. This kind of depression might hover over you. And you're just like, what is going on? It's where you got to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you and take your stand in your identity in Christ. Conviction looks to Jesus. Condemnation will look to self. I'm powerless. I suck. I just can't do this. And, you know, they, and you just, again, it just sucks you down. Conviction is a blessing because it leads to life. Condemnation is a burden because Satan just wants to pull you in and, and, and pull you down and keep you from being effective in this world. And so we've learned in Ephesians that in love we're blessed, we're chosen, we're adopted, we're favored, we're redeemed, and we're forgiven. This is who we are in Jesus. Uh, we've got to live this. Don't let your feelings tell you otherwise. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy. Walk in who you are and who Christ has called you to be. You're called to be free. You're called to be redeemed. You're called to walk in forgiveness and grace because, hey, you got the best dad in the universe, and he loves you, loves you so much. Let's stand as we close. If any of you would uh, like uh, prayer today, I know we didn't do a prayer time, but I know there's uh, probably people who would like prayer, you know, someone who needs prayer. Uh, God does amazing things through prayer sometimes. It's really cool to see. And uh, I don't know, Michael and Carl, are you willing to be up here and pray? Okay, that'd be great. And you can come up and they'd be happy to pray with you. And if they're praying with someone, you can just sit there and wait until they're ready to pray with you. But let's close in prayer. Uh, God, we thank you. You are so amazing. Uh, God, that your grace and forgiveness is enough to even cover sins like King David. And that it seems that you look at him in favor and grace and, and beauty because your forgiveness is that radical. And we thank you, God, that that same radical forgiveness is for us. That as in Christ, as your children, we walk in this radical forgiveness. God, I thank you that you've washed away our guilt. I thank you that you've washed away this, this fear of being punished by you because you've already punished all of our sin and it's gone. But God, we thank you that you love us so much that you discipline us and you help us to walk that road that is best for us, that you've come to give us life and life to the fullest. We thank you, God, that you care enough about us to help us through this life. And God, we praise you for the work of the Spirit in our life. God, would you help us to resist the thoughts of the enemy and the thoughts of condemnation that keep us from you and live under the conviction that brings us close to you. So God, as we leave this place, help us to walk in our identity as sons and daughters who are fully accepted, fully redeemed, fully forgiven, fully loved by you. And God, would you help us to love people radically this week as you have loved us. Help us to love and forgive radically as you've forgiven us so radically. And God, may we lavish love back to you as you've poured it out on us. 
In Jesus' name, amen.